and I am Gregory J. Ani, and I am an assistant professor of pediatrics at UT Health San Antonio and Greedy Children's Cancer Research Institute in San Antonio, Texas. There is a lot of um, existing data that's uh, emerged over the last, um, you know, probably two decades on the relationship between anthracycline uh, chemotherapy exposure in childhood and then the later development of significant cardiovascular disease in adult survivors once they've you know, survived uh, uh, many, many years. What's um, not been as clear is when you look at the individual medications in this class of anthracyclines, do they all carry the same equal risk of developing or causing long-term cardiotoxicity or cardio, cardiovascular complications. And so historically, there's been data that suggests that they're, they're not the same as you would probably expect if you just think about it. they're not structurally identical medications. So there probably is going to be some subtle differences in how they impact the body um, and the heart and other structures in the cardiovascular system. And so what we've done in trying to, to measure these risks is, is drawn upon some preclinical mouse data in which the differences in these commonly clinically uh, used anthracyclines is based off of bone marrow toxicity in mice studies. From those studies, there's what we are called equivalency ratios that are known. Um, so essentially, um, two of the medicines that are more, most commonly used, doxorubicin and donorubicin, historically have been felt to be equivalent. Uh, based off of these bone marrow uh, toxicity uh, studies in mice. And then a medicine called mitoxantrone was four to five times more uh, likely to cause any you know, kind of toxicity based off of these. But that's not looking at cardiovascular toxicity. And so I think there's a lot of interest in trying to understand is that relationship hold true when you look at cardiac endpoints, because this is a newer issue that we're dealing with long term. And then also in a human population, because I think a lot of the data is actually based off of, you know, early uh, studies in which animal models were used. And so really that was kind of the, the overarching impetus um, for uh, the study. And uh, Eric Chow, who's the, who's the senior author on the paper at, at Fred Hutch, he had had a, a previous study in which they were able to compile a big enough cohort of survivors to look at the two drugs, doxorubicin and donorubicin, and was able to show that one of them, the donorubicin, was about half as cardiotoxic. So that also led into this idea that we could, you know, build a bigger cohort and look at additional medications. The current study built upon, you know, some of this previous data, and in particular, uh, doc Dr. Chow's uh, prior work in which he had this cohort that was big enough to, to resolve the differences between um, donorubicin and doxorubicin through you know, additional collaborations and, and uh, with some investigators in Europe. The cohort was enlarged uh, for analysis. So I think it was up to over 28,000 patients, which is a big, big number. And then the kind of same statistical, you know, kind of, um, Analysis was applied to the drugs um, mitoxantrum, which is a commonly used chemother uh, chemotherapy, and then um, epirubicin. And from the, the study, um, essentially the findings were 
it confirmed, you know, the prior kind of ratio between doxorubicin and donorubicin. And it showed that mitoxantrum was actually four times more cardiotoxic than um, the doxorubicin, which was, I, I think, consistent with what had been done and known previously, which was confirmatory in that sense. And then I believe that epirubicin there was, wasn't a big difference. What this did is it ex expanded on the notion that these medications aren't all the same. And then I think that has implications for what needs to be done uh, going forward and, and how this might change our clinical practice. So the question is, what do you do with those individuals that are already have gone through and been exposed and now are survivors? And then what do you do with the group that are in the future that are going to be patients that get these medications? So in the case of patients that have already received you know, exposure to anthracyclines and are now, you know, long-term survivors. Um, I, I think this has some interesting and important uh, implications. One is that it should help us modify or tailor our screening strategies for patients based on their individual anthracycline exposure. So in the past, we've kind of lumped all of the anthracyclines into one um, bulk um, exposure and then have screening guidelines. I think now, you know, for example, if you've been exposed to modisantrone, the screening might need to be a little more frequent. If donorubicin was more of your, uh, you know, main anthracycline, then perhaps we can get by doing less screening. Uh, but the implications are that it helps us tailor and, and look for some of these problems in the patient population. And then with respect to newer patients that are going to come in the future, I think what we're building towards is, uh, is to really thinking about what anthracyclines we use in our clinical studies. So in children in pediatric oncology, pediatric cancer, about half of our patients are going to get exposure to an anthracycline. It's, it's not all the same ones, depending on what kind of disease they have, whether it's a, you know, a leukemia lymphoma versus a you know, like a solid tumor, like a bone tumor or a muscle tumor, they get different anthracyclines, um, but about half of them get them. To me personally, it's never been entirely clear how a certain anthracycline was decided for a certain disease. And some of it may have just been, that's what was available at the time. The number one consideration is actually maintaining our excellent cure rates right now, because, you know, most of our patients, 80% are going to survive greater than five years. So we now, now have some evidence as to which anthracyclines are the least cardiotoxic, with donorubicin being you know, half as cardiotoxic as doxorubicin. So in the future, we might consider developing some trials in which we try to look at um, you know, short-term survival endpoints uh, with those two anthracyclines compared. Uh, because obviously, if you can maintain same survival, but swap out an anthracycline that's half uh, the, the potential to be cardiotoxic, then that's a victory in the long term. So I think these types of studies are probably what is going to be, you know, talked about as, as we move forward. Um, and then additionally, trying to come up with, you know, more preclinical data about what is actually driving the differences. Like what's, what's the scientific basis of how, you know, these uh, medications offer differences in, in long-term outcomes. If, if we could understand that, then that might open, you know, some, some avenues to other strategies that would help us, you know, deal with this long-term, you know, kind of complication that um, unfortunately is very common and it's difficult to foresee in the near term 
you know, our, you know, armamentarium for pediatric cancer being able to completely eliminate anthracyclines because they're so critical to our curative regimens. And so we're trying to come up with a way to manage them better in our regimens, I think is where this is hopefully gonna, gonna lead. So this is, a, you know, a, a big group of different investigators from across the country, and I think we've been talking about where is this going to lead and what are the next, you know, next studies going to be. And, and I think absolutely there will be, you know, you know, more work that comes from this. It's, it's a question of kind of, you know, regrouping and, and um, thinking about what are the next, you know, big questions we want to answer. I think there's a couple, a couple of key ones. Um, you know, one is um, expanding the population to include, perhaps more adult diagnosed patients. Um, so this study, it's on childhood cancer survivors. So by definition, the patients were diagnosed with cancer under the age of 18. But it, there's a large population of young adults with cancer that get exposed to um, anthracyclines as well. And what's their long-term you know, complications from these medications? And you could you know, suspect that maybe they have the same type of long-term outcome. So that needs to be studied. Um, but it might allow for you know, bigger patient cohorts because there's more more patients in general in the kind of 18 to 39 age group. So that's one thing. Looking at, you know, novel anthracyclines, uh, a novel delivery mechanism. So there's ways to, you know, with nanotechnology and, and other strategies to encapsulate some of these medications so that when they go into the body, they uh, can be delivered to the tumor, but are not as apt to get into the heart and, and cardiovascular system. So, you know, developing the preclinical data for those and then the clinical trials for those is something that could, could really be, um, you know, beneficial. And I think those are the types of, you know, questions we're going to be talking about. I think at the end of the day, the, the group as a whole and that, are, that are working on late effects of cancer really think that this is kind of a new you know, opportunity in, in oncology that we didn't have, say, 20 years ago, because it just wasn't long-term survival uh, numbers that we have now. And it's, it's really a product of the success of the last 70 years, so it's, it's a, but it's a new problem that we have to deal with. And I think for the patients, um, you know, there's going to be an increasing focus in, in this new era of oncology on, um, you know, really trying to maintain our excellent, you know, survival, but really start to chip away at these long-term problems and improve quality of life to where, you know, we can, we can say our, our patients have a true cure from their disease with an outstanding quality of life in the long term. And that's what I think all of this is, is directed at. And in many ways, I think we're just kind of in the infancy of starting these types of studies. And it's, uh, it's pretty exciting to think where it might lead in the long term.